because of what Jesus did there, that our sins are forgiven, we can stand before the Father. Hallelujah for the cross.
We welcome our King and Savior into this place, and just as the crowds did when he rode into Jerusalem on that morning so long ago, we lift a shout of Hosanna, save us, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. about the blood of Jesus, a medley of songs, starting with a song that has blessed the church for over a hundred years. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus that can give life, redemption, and forgiveness. Let's sing together. Together singing. One can wash away my sin, nothing but the
Thank you. You may be seated. We can never get over the cross. Every time we're reminded of Jesus taking our nails and bearing our sin, we're amazed all over again. We ask, how can it be that our God would die in our place? Yet scripture says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, and long before the cross was designed by cruel men, the prophet Isaiah wrote words that vividly paint a picture of our Savior there. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed.
verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Philippians 2, 7-11 He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 say, Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Apostle Paul declares in Galatians 6, As for me, may I never boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we live as believers. Our only claim to anything good or worthy or righteous is the cross and the blood of Christ shed there.
If you or I had made the plan, we might have sent a conqueror or a diplomat, a philosopher or maybe a theologian, but the only thing that could save us was a sacrifice.
The love of God is truly amazing to think about. When God sent his son into this world to save us from our sins, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sing with us about Jesus, the Son of God.
Praise his name. Thank you. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians 1 makes it clear, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And if the cross seems foolish to those who don't believe, just imagine their response when they hear, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here. He's risen, just as he said. If you are lost today, call out to Jesus right now, and he will save you. And if you are saved, oh, if you are saved, rejoice. Give thanks for the beautiful, wonderful, powerful cross of Jesus Christ. Now let the lost be found, forgiven, and the not hold him down. He's risen, so let the saints cry out. We worship you, we worship you.
Entitled The Passion of the Christ. Probably some of you, maybe many of you, saw that movie. It depicts the brutality that Jesus had to endure when it came to his crucifixion. He took many of the things that are in the movie out of the scriptures, out of the Bible. There are some things in it that came out of his Catholic tradition. But if you have seen the movie, and you have read all of the subtitles that uh, are there for you because the movie's all in Latin, you realize that what Jesus endured and what Jesus suffered at the cross of, of Calvary was beyond anything that you and I can even possibly imagine. The suffering of Christ for you and for me. You know, I think it's interesting that in the New Testament, 
in the Gospels especially, that they don't place that same emphasis on the physical suffering of Jesus. It's not that it isn't there. It is there. I guess that it's assumed that those who understood what crucifixion was like would already know and understand the brutality of crucifixion. But when you read through the Gospels, you pick up details about what was happening around the crucifixion, but you don't necessarily get the graphic details of how brutal it was. I mean, if anybody was going to give that kind of detail, the Gospel writer of Luke would have been the one to do it. And yet when you read Luke's account, he gives the longest account of the birth of Christ. He gives the most detailed, uh, orderly account of, uh, of the life of Christ. And he gives this extended explanation about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. But he doesn't go into a lot of gory details. And you would think if anybody was going to put those kind of details in uh, his gospel, it would be Luke because Luke was a medical doctor. He would have known and he would have understood the significance of the suffering that Jesus had to endure. But do you know where the New Testament places the emphasis? The New Testament places the emphasis on the fact that while Jesus was hanging on that cross, he was taking our sin on himself. That Jesus became the substitute for you and for me. And he paid a penalty he did not owe so that you and I wouldn't have to pay the penalty that we do owe. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 has to say, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him to be sin for us. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it doesn't mean that he literally became sin. It doesn't mean that he was guilty of some sin that was committed. He didn't become a sinner. But while Jesus was hanging on that cross, there's a little term. It's a theological term. You need to know the term, the thing of imputation, the term of imputation. Our sin was imputed to Christ. Uh, it was attributed to Christ. And while Christ was hanging on the cross, the only perfect sinless one who's ever lived, God executed his judgment against mankind's sin on his only son so that Jesus paid the penalty for you and for me. He became sin for us so that what would happen? We could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. It is contributed to us. It is assigned to us as our sin was assigned to Jesus. His righteousness is assigned to us. And now, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand before God forgiven. And can I tell you that when God sees you and when God sees me, if you're a child of the living God, what he sees is not your sinfulness. What he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ in which you've been clothed. It's the only way you can get into heaven. 
You can never be good enough. You can never be worthy enough. There aren't enough things that you could accomplish over the course of your entire life if you could do multiple good things every, every day that could ever give you entrance to heaven. The only way is that you receive the payment that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary and you let him impute to you his righteousness so that you will stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the saddest things to me as a pastor, uh, some 45 years or so, is the generation that's coming along behind me don't know about Jesus. They don't see their sins. They don't understand the person of Christ. They don't realize what Jesus did on the cross of Christ. They've never been told that you can't get into heaven on the good works or the good deeds you, you've done. They have a scale in their mind, and sometimes they think, if I can just outwork the bad, that somehow I'll get into heaven. God will see my good works, and he'll let me in. And they go through life with an emptiness. They go through life with shame and guilt. They go through life knowing that there's things wrong within them. There's sin within them, but they're never told that there's forgiveness in Jesus. They're never told that eternal life is in Christ the Lord. They're never told that by faith in Jesus, in faith in Jesus alone, you can become a child of the living God. And the righteousness that Jesus has will be imputed to you. It will be credited to you so that you can have the forgiveness of God. You know, it's a little bit like owing a debt. And somebody who has the means to be able to pay that debt comes and pays the debt for you in full so that you don't have to pay it yourself. And then you're set free. You're free from that indebtedness. That's what Jesus did on that brutal cross. That's what Jesus did on that Friday morning as he was nailed there and he hung there with all of the brutality of it all, as horrible and as, as, as horrendous as it all was, as Jesus hung there, you'll remember his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those moments, your sins and mine and the sins of the whole world were imputed. They were credited to Jesus. And in those moments, the righteous judge of heaven judged our sins on Jesus. You know, it should be no surprise why we love Jesus. It should be no surprise why we have a celebration of the crucifixion of Jesus. It should be no surprise why we have an ordinance in the church called communion where we remember the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood. It should be no surprise because there is no salvation anywhere else but in Jesus and in Jesus alone. I'm thankful that I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. And every day this week, I'm going to be thinking about the cross. And I'm going to be thinking about what Jesus did 
for me on the cross. And tonight we brought you here, the choir and musicians and all of our technicians, we brought you here to remind you about the cross.